many people do we have at Bullets and Brisket yesterday? Come on, that was awesome yesterday. So good, we got to see my son blow up a watermelon with his rifle in slow motion. Just so many powerful things, so many powerful things. So I'm going to be using a laser a little bit today. It's going to be... I was going to bring the laser off my gun, but I thought it might freak people out here. So, Now, if you are a golfer, imagine being mentored by Tiger Woods. Would that just be incredible? Imagine if you were to uh, shoot pistols, if you could be mentored by Robert Vogler. Nobody knows who that is, but that's incredible. All right. Guess who's spending the day with him on Tuesday? Yeah, it's me. Anyway, and so... Um, Imagine if you were a Pinewood Derby car racer and you had the opportunity to be mentored by me. And so um, I want you to do this. Turn. Come on, somebody. That's right. We weren't ranked sixth in the nation for nothing. All right, there we go. And so uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor and uh, name an area of your life you would love to be mentored in and who would that person be? So go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. Who would you love to be? What area in your life would you love to have a mentor and who would that mentor be? Talk to each other. There you go. There you go. I heard giggles from the back. There's some, uh, some good ideas being exchanged back there. We'll take about another 10 seconds on this one. Let's close in prayer. Thank you. No, no, we're not closing in prayer yet. So who are some of the mentors you guys would like to be mentored by? Just interesting. Just yell, yell them out. Grant Cardone. All right. Heidi Baker. There we go. Was it? I can't. You ever said that? Say it again. Catherine Kuhlman. Catherine Kuhlman. Okay, I got it. I got it. All right. Let's do one or two more. Solomon. Oh, man. What was, that? What was the other one? Jerry Hershberger, Yuri Hershberger, all right, what was one more, Mary, Charles Finney, all right, all right, well, I like those, I like those, and so we're going to, um, we just finished a nine-part series on healing today, and today we're starting a new series on healing, yes, we are, yeah, we are, and so um, we're going to get a chance to be mentored by Jesus, I want you guys to see, we're going to learn healing the same way the disciples learned healing, by looking over the shoulder of Jesus and seeing how he did it. So there's a 26 different healing stories in Jesus. I'm not sure if this is going to be 26 parts, but I'm not against it. I'm going to teach on healing until there's a major shift, okay? Mark my words. It's, so when you see us shifting series, there's been a shift in healing. It's okay. The Lord gives us permission to move on. So um, I want you to think about this. As we're reading these miracles and we're talking about them, we're watching Jesus work in exactly the same way the disciples did. They didn't have a clue what was going on. It's not like they had a whole lot of prep. They're just watching these things happen. Jesus would sometimes take them aside, debrief with them, let them know what's happening. And so this was how the disciples were apprenticed by Jesus. I like the idea of apprenticeship because uh, the idea is that you're actually going to do what they're doing. You know, if you were apprenticed to a horseshoe maker, do you have any apprentices to horseshoe makers? Can you, no, no, none of those here today? The idea would be you're actually going to learn how to make horseshoes. You're not going to just write papers about it and have discussions about horseshoes, right? So when we're being apprenticed by Jesus in healing, the idea is that we're actually going to do healing. We're not, going, we're not looking for the perfect formula, right? I think when people try to re reduce things down to formula, we're closer to witchcraft than we are to kingdom. 
Principles without the prince is more like witchcraft than kingdom. What is witchcraft? What do those things do? They try to get secret knowledge about the divine and put it into formulas so they can manipulate the divine or some deity and access their power. That's what a lot of people are trying to do with Christianity. They don't want the relationship with Jesus. They want the results. We're not trying to reduce it down to a formula. We're, we're, uh, we're looking to a person, okay? So we're going to be uh, apprenticing Jesus. We're going to be looking at these miracle stories. But I want to tie it to what we uh, talked about last time. I, and as we finished our last series on healing, uh, the last message was called Birthing Your Miracle. And we looked at um, your imagination. You guys remember this? Your imagination is your ability to picture something in your mind and, or in your heart that you can't see with your eyes. And uh, your godly imagination, it's the ability to see what God sees. So we've, talk, we've heard about wild imaginations and vain imaginations. But a godly imagination is when I'm able to see in my mind what God is seeing in his, right? We also saw that your uh, imagination was like your spiritual womb. You guys remember this? Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Now, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word translated mind also can be translated imagination, and it's the same word for conception. Okay? Your mind is a spiritual womb. It's where you conceive. Just like a woman cannot give birth without a seed, without sperm coming in there, right? Are we okay? Like, like she can't get pregnant on her own. You cannot conceive a miracle on your own. The word of God is called the seed. The Greek word is sperma. You need the sperma of the word of God to come into the womb of your imagination so you can conceive a miracle with God. We're co-creating with God. How are we doing? Miracles don't come from the outside. They come from the inside. Are we all right? And so uh, you believe and then receive. And so um, you cannot pray for healing while you're planning your funeral. All right, you have to use your imagination to see what the word of God says. And when you see it and conceive it, the miracle comes. So don't wait for a physical manifestation to verify that God's promises are true. A lot of people are waiting to feel better, and then they'll believe that God's their healer. No, 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 it's believe that he's your healer, then you receive the healing. See yourself walking without the cane. See yourself sleeping through the night, living and not dying, eating what you haven't been able to eat, Okay. The word imagine and the word meditate in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's the same word, okay? So meditation on the word is when we read the word, you take in that information, but then you close that book and you allow a, God, the Holy Spirit to paint a picture of it on the inside so that you can see yourself in that truth. So we're not going to just study Jesus from, a, you know, from a, afar and look at these miracles and dissect it and understand these things. We want to we read these stories. We want to get inside the stories. And then we want to put ourselves in those stories to see those things happening to us as, as if they happen, they could happen to us like they happened to Jesus. I want you guys to understand, Jesus couldn't do any, any miracles on his own. Okay? What did Jesus say? Apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Okay? And so Jesus was fully God. He was also fully man. And so, but he did not use his deity. He did not use his divinity when he was doing miracles. He did them as a person. He did not do any miracles until he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. I want you guys to get this. Because if we read these stories as if it was God, we'd be like, oh, wow, that's impressive. Look what God can do. We need to read them. Look what Jesus did as a man, modeling for us what we can now do. You're like, yeah, but Jesus, he, he was sinless. He had uh, no separation from the Father. I've got some good news for you. Because of the new covenant, the Father now sees you as sinless, and you have no distance and no separation from you and the Father. You have the same access, the same intensity of relationship as Jesus did. That's why he adopted you as his very own sons and daughters. And he delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. 
So guys, as we're reading these things, I, I, want, I don't want us to be impressed with what God can do, although that can be a part of it. I want us to see what is now available to us. So we're reading these things as if we were in Jesus' place doing these miracles. As if the same things the Father was giving to Jesus, Jesus can now give to us. Because this is what he said in John 14. He said, if anyone believes in me, he'll do the works I've been doing, not only these, but greater works. How is it greater works? Because it's going to happen through a whole bunch of Jesus's. Whole bunch of Christ in use. Greater number of miracles. How we doing? All right, that's the introduction. Are right, you guys seeing where we're going? Apprenticing with Jesus with these stories, but we're not just looking at these stories. We're tying it to last week. I want you to take these stories. After we get inside them, I want you to take them this week, and I want you to meditate on this story. We're going to be looking at one this week. We're going to be look. I'm going to try to do them in chronological order, so we're going to see, see how that works. So um, let me just read that again. I, I think we have it up there, John 14, 12. What an awesome picture there. That's, that's awesome. All right. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, he didn't say anyone who gets rid of all the sin in their life, anyone who's able to make just the right confession, anyone who's able to hit level 10 faith, no, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I'm doing and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Jim, are you saying we can do the same healing uh, miracles as Jesus? No, no, no. Jesus said it. I'm just repeating it. I want you guys to get this. This is for you. It's not just for other people. As we're reading these stories, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's probably some specially gifted people in this room that can do this. No, 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 no. You're one of those specially gifted people because you have the gift of Jesus living inside of you. And he wants out. Not like to leave, but to demonstrate. <laughs> he wants out. Get me out of here. No, no, no. We're not talking about that. All right. I cannot wait. All right. This is Sean's. I thought mine was broken, but anyway. I feel like it's like, like, like a mini lightsaber. You know what we're going to do later? We're going to do like um, laser healings. You. Yeah. Your shoulder? Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So. Why limit things? I wonder if anyone's done laser healings. I wonder if it could be the first church to do laser healings. Man, oh man. All right. Healing of the royal official's son. This was a government official. Turn me to John chapter 4. And here's what we're going to do. So you should have went, uh, when you came in here, unless you got here a little too early, um, uh, you should have got a piece of paper with today's scripture on here. Okay? So did anyone, I don't know if we got our ushers ready for this. I didn't prep them for this. Um, well, for those of you watching online, there should be a link in the description of today's, uh, of, of today's episode. Episode. Today's broad, whatever it is. Today's thing. And uh, you, can, you can get off of that, or you can uh, look in the New Living Translation uh, you know, go BibleGateway.com or something like that. Or just read in whatever translation you have. We're going to look at uh, John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. And so if you have your piece of paper in there with the scripture on it, I'm going to give you two. Uh, the average person can read 237 words per minute. Um, this is 253 words. And so I'm going to give you two minutes. Okay, does that sound good? You guys didn't need to know all that, but that's how I came up with this number. Okay. And so I'm going to give you two minutes so we can have a little travel music. I want you to just in an unhurried pace read through this story on your own. Again, John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. And I'll see you guys in two minutes. Anyone not get one? Looks like Mary's got some. Raise your hand, Mary. I'll give you a piece of paper. Anyone want to help Mary? Thank you. All right.
All right, how many are like, Jim, I am a below average reader, I'm not finished yet. Now we're not gonna make you raise your hand, so. All right, let's read it out loud together. And so uh, I was so tempted to point out the people who needed a handout with the laser. I, I just want to use this thing all the time. John chapter 4, verse 43. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. Now, I want to kind of model some things to you. It's just as you're reading scripture, um, it, it, kind of like a detective, some questions should come up. At the end of two days, Jesus went to Galilee. What happened during those two days? Right? And so that would be the, the passage before that. We're going to talk about these things. But again, just as you're reading, just begin to learn to ask questions because the Holy Spirit loves to answer those questions. He himself had said that a prophet without, is not honored in his hometown, yet the Galileans welcomed him. I want you to notice this. So Jesus can, uh, you can welcome Jesus and not honor him. Okay, we're going to see what this means in just a second. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. So the question is, what happened at the Passover celebration? We're going to look at that. Verse 46, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. That happened in John chapter 2, two chapters earlier. There was a government official in, a near, in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The, royal, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Verse 51, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told them, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. What an awesome story. Is that good? All right, so let's dive inside. Let's see what the disciples saw. Let's see what we can learn and uh, what applies to us today. So if we could pull up the map slide, we're going to see that Jesus was headed north to Galilee. I, I couldn't find any better images, and so uh, I, I'm just kind of looking for an excuse for this thing. So Jesus was coming from Judea. <laughs> now you see where it's coming in, huh? He was coming from Judea through Samaria up into Cana. So he'd perform miracles here in John chapter 2. He's traveling down here. So Judea. I'm not really getting to do much more than this. This is kind of it. Judea through Samaria. So, okay, so in Samaria, we have John chapter 4. This is where Jesus uh, met the woman at the well. He gives her a word of knowledge, and he's like, yeah, the, the person you're with is not your husband. You've had a couple other husbands. She's like, man, you're a prophet. She goes into Samaria, tells everybody about Jesus. Everybody believes. Remember that whole thing? John chapter 4, verse 43. At the end of two days, with the Samar at the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. What happened in those two days? Well, let's go back to the thing here real quick. At the end of two days, he was two days in Samaria. Okay, so he did the woman at the well. They begged Jesus to stay for two more days, and he told them, and uh, the, the region, a lot of them got saved. Does that sound good? So that was the two days. That was it. I, I don't know how else I'm going to use this, but I'm going to figure out some ways to use this a little bit later here. So Jesus, was that applause I just heard? I tell miracle stories and get less reaction than I do from the laser pointer. I don't even know what to do with you people. No, this is good. This is good. So, um, all right. So, th so that's what's happening. Uh, verse 43. At the, at the end of the two days, the two days with the Samaritans, that happened right before that, Jesus went on to Galilee. Remember the map? He was going right on to Galilee. He himself said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. So Jesus, it's interesting. Jesus had just come from Samaria. Samaritans was half Jews, half Gentiles. And for some reason, they were the hated people. 
They said um, it was better to eat from the utensils of a dog than to uh, brush by a Samaritan. That's actually what the rabbi said. I'm not, that's not the Bible. That's like religion perverting things. But that's how much they did, how despised the Samaritans were. They were just looked upon. It was like a Michigan Wolverine fan and a, uh, you know, just despised, just absolutely despised by people. And so here in, in, the, in Samaria, like they should have honored Jesus in Jerusalem, right? Here they are in Samaria. They honor Jesus as Messiah. They recognize that he's the Messiah. And so he, so he comes from Samaritan, Samaria. They welcome him there in uh, verse 45. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. So who are these Galileans? They're welcoming Jesus, but they're not honoring him. Okay, who are these Galileans? They welcomed him. Why? Because they'd seen the miracles he did in Jerusalem. All right, just kind of do a little bit of history. Are you guys following me? All right, because I feel like I'm all over the place. That laser got me all excited, all right? So um, this group of Galileans, we met them back in John chapter 2, okay? Jesus is at the Passover feast with these same Galileans. So let's go back to John chapter 2 and see who these people were. We good? John chapter 2, verse 23. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need anyone to tell him about people because he knew what was in people's minds. So here's these Galileans. They'd seen enough supernatural stuff at Passover that they had great respect for Jesus. They're becoming fans of Jesus, right? Jesus is this miracle, mighty miracle worker, but Jesus did not entrust himself to those kind of people who were just wowed by the signs and wonders. You guys understand it's possible to welcome Jesus because of the supernatural things he does, but not honor him for who he really is? It's possible to be a fan of Jesus and not a follower of Jesus. A follower is someone who's learning from him how to be like him, someone who's trusting their life to him. A fan is someone who just wants to be around the atmosphere and the goodies and the glory chills and the impartation and the, the conference junkies. You can be a conference junkie and you can be a follower, but you can also be a conference junkie and just stay as a fan. These are the people that fill up notebook after notebook but never plan on doing anything with the notebooks. Jesus will go on to show it's false faith if you're following him for signs, feelings, and experiences alone. You need to come to the one the sign is pointing to. Okay? Verse 46, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana. Do we need to pull up the map again? To see how, are we okay? Okay. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. So that was the first miracle Jesus did in John chapter 2. There was a wedding. They ran out of wine. And so imagine today, like, you've got a... Um, you've got a um, like, what do you call the part of the wedding we eat? The reception. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. We got a wedding in three weeks in our family, and I can't remember the word reception. I'm just responsible for the ceremony. So, okay. So the, imagine you're at the reception, and uh, half the line has gone through the food table, and the food has run out. That'd be pretty embarrassing for the bride and groom, right? So imagine, so that, this kind of what it was like back then for you to run out of wine in the middle of a wedding. And so Jesus says, go get these water pots, turns the water into wine. That's his first miracle. So that's what he's referring to. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. You know what? Let's pull up that map. All right. So here's Jesus in Cana. There's a government official about 25 miles away in Capernaum, close to sea level. Okay, we're going to see why that's important here in just a second. So who was this government official? Okay, there's a government official here. Now, um, you've got to understand, all of the land of Israel was under Roman rule. Okay, they were oppressed. They had the boot of Rome on their neck at all times. 
Um, Pontius Pilate was the Roman in charge of Jerusalem at the time of crucifixion. Okay, So big picture, at Jesus' birth, you had Herod, who was ruling over all of Rome. When Herod died, Herod died he passed it on to his four sons. They're kind of like little puppet rulers under Caesar Augustus. Okay, So Caesar Augustus, he's ruling the day. And then in Jesus' region, there was Herod Antipas. So remember Herod Antipas? He was the one who put John the Baptist in prison. He's the one who took his brother's wife. And uh, yeah, that whole story. Uh, he was the... Um, yeah, see, so we got that. And so Herod Antipas' dad was the one who tried to kill all the babies when Jesus was born. Are we seeing it? Roman rule. So this the government official, he is working for Rome. Okay, so he's one, of the, he's one of those people. He's in the royal court of the King Herod. And uh, we don't know what position he held. It doesn't really matter. We don't really have an equivalent in America today. And so in England, picture hundreds of years ago, England, they might have been called a nobleman or Lord somebody or Sir so-and-so. But it's somebody who had access to the palace. And um, this man in the royal court had some sort of assignment given to him. He would have been a wealthy man. Okay? He would have been a person with great influence. It would have been obvious from the way that he dressed and the kind of horse that he rode that this person was from the court of the king. All right? And so uh, verse 46, as Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick, so about 25 miles away. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. I want us to get the picture here. If we could uh, go back to, uh, let's go to the mountain picture here. So when you see, uh, huh? So I want you to see, so this is what the road looks like going from, um, from uh, Capernaum up to Cana, okay? So it would have been, it's, it's pretty much uphill the whole way. When you, when you think of mountains in, uh, in, in the Bible, they're not like the Colorado Rockies. They're more like, like big hills like this. And so when this guy's riding 25 miles, I want you to picture, he's riding pretty much straight up the whole way at full speed in desperation. Are you guys getting the picture? Okay. So it's mountainous, it's, uh, and so the royal official, he hears 25 miles away, the rumors have gotten about what this Jesus has done in Cana, what he's done over there. And so he hears what's happened, and, uh, and it catches his interest because his son is terminally ill. In fact, the doctor said, listen, this guy, could, this, your boy could die any day now. He's just about expiring on his last breath. So this man gets on his horse, and he rides 25 miles through the mountains. I'm sure he's going at full speed. I mean, if, if your son is at death's door, and this is your last resort, he must get to Jesus. Um, if I know anything about a dad with his little boy, this dad is in hopeless despair. All he can think about is getting to Jesus before it's too late. So he rides furiously all morning without stopping, and he goes right into Cana, gets there about 12 noon, the Bible tells us. Now, at this point, what's the, what's the royal official's faith? What level of faith is he at? He's heard about some supernatural stuff, and he's hoping that this, guy, this Jesus might be able to help his son. He's thinking, listen, if this Jesus can heal people, I'm used to getting people to do what tell, they tell me to do. He's a royal official. He speaks. People jump. I'm going to get this Jesus to come back to my house. Can you guys see probably with the frame of mind he's in? Remember, we're painting pictures here. We're getting inside the story. We good? All right. And so, uh, so this man, he's, he's used to speaking, people jump, and here, here he comes. He hears these things, and in verse 47, he comes and uh, he, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Here's this man who's used to getting his way, who has got a, he's, he's a, he doesn't come with all that pomp and circumstance. He comes begging for Jesus to heal his son. The word begged, um, there's different tenses of verbs. This one's in the imperfect tense. Here's what it means. It means it's a continuous action. 
It means he is pestering Jesus. He didn't just come and request one time. He's pestering Jesus. Jesus, you have to stop what you're doing. You have to come down to Capernaum. My little boy's dying. I'll do anything. If you could just come with me, right? Jesus gives an interesting response in verse 48. Jesus asks, will you never believe in me unless you see, in, you see miraculous signs and wonders? Isn't that an odd response? Uh, Jesus, he uses a double negative in Greek. So here's how it is literally. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not not believe. Okay, You will not ever believe. You guys are never, ever going to believe if I don't just keep performing these signs and wonders for you. right? And uh, Jesus, he's not speaking directly to this man because I'm, I'm giving you a little bit extra. It's in second person plural. Okay, So when Jesus says, um, will you never believe, he's talking to the group of Galileans. So here's this royal official, and he's kind of lumping him into the, with this group. And he's saying, you're just like them. You guys will never believe unless you just keep seeing the supernatural stuff. That's why you guys keep hanging around this stuff. Some translations say, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. So Jesus wasn't just talking to this man. He's talking to the Galileans, and he's lumping this guy, and you're just like one of them. In other words, you just won't believe. The extent of your faith is if you just keep seeing the supernatural stuff, you'll keep hanging around. Now, if you've read through the Gospels or the Bible, maybe you've heard the expression signs and wonders, right? So let's look at what that means. The word wonder describes the effect that the mighty works of God are having on people. Okay, and so that's the condition. When you see the sign, it makes you wonder. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever been awestruck with wonder of something. I remember uh, the first time Mary saw me with my shirt off. She, no, 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 that wasn't, that wasn't. <laughs> it was a wow, yeah, it was, yeah, wow, Lord. Get him some dumbbells. And so, um, anyway, so I remember, uh, you know, I, the first time I saw a James Maloney minister. And so uh, James Maloney's passed away. He was a great father of this house. And uh, Bill Johnson had said he had, the, might, uh, had the, uh, the most prolific healing ministry of anyone on the planet. So this is like back in like 2012, 2013. So I hear this, and so he's going to be speaking in Indiana. I drive there, kind of finagle my way to the front row. And as he's ministering, um, he, he was, it was just a different – you guys ever, ever seen, remember James Maloney? He was just a different cat. And so uh, – oh, my gosh, was he a different cat? We could tell James Maloney stories. Yeah, he would, yeah I'm not going to get on all that. So let's just stick with it. So um, this night he was ministering, he was operating as something that he called panoramic vision. And so he would uh, look out in the crowd, and there would be a pillar of light that would appear, appear over people that God was highlighting. I'm like, that's cheating. Like, seriously? Like, like you get that? And you're like, all right. So these pillar of lights would appear. And so he'd call the people who had the light over him. And instead of them saying, hey, I want you to pray for my knee, he would say, um, he, he would see this screen, like a movie screen over their head. And he would just describe what he was seeing on the screen. And so I remember he was there, and he told this lady, he's like, you were, um, you were in a car accident 12 years ago. It was a red Honda Accord. You were wearing this. This is what happened. Here's the surgery you had. Six months later, you had this surgery. You've got pins in your knee. Um, on the way over here, you had this conversation with your husband in the car. And right before I called you up, you were thinking this out loud to the Lord. And that by the time he was done describing it, she'd be healed without any prayer. And so, um, and so I knew some of the people. So I... I knew the pastor really well, and these were his people in the church. It wasn't like they were plants that he had brought from other people, you know, because, you know, our minds tend to go there. And so, uh, so you know, we're watching, like, um, I can smell metal burning out of people's bodies and dissolving. They couldn't find the metal that was holding their body parts together. So I'm sitting on the front row, and after about 10 minutes, my mind went completely numb. It was like, I, I, I guess I had so much unbelief and just had, you know, just reading stories and not experiencing them. That I guess it was just like this wonder came over me, and I, it's like I couldn't take anymore. 
Okay, that's what we're talking about with signs and wonders. Wonder is the effect that the sign, the miracle uh, power of God has on you. It just leaves you in awestruck wonder. Now, the word sign, remember we're talking about signs and wonders. The word sign is exactly what it means. A sign points to something beyond itself. Okay, so there's an exit sign over the door. No one's getting on a ladder and trying to, like, dive through the sign, right? The sign points beyond itself to a different reality. No one sees the sign that says 10 miles of Columbus and like, honey, we're here. No, the sign's pointing to something beyond itself. So whenever Jesus is doing a sign, it's pointing to what God is really like. It's pointing to the person behind the sign. So the sign is supposed to lead you to Jesus, but some people just get stuck in the wonder. So here's these Galileans. They believed in Jesus because of his signs, but Jesus did not entrust himself to that because they did not look at the purpose of the sign and take him to the Messiah. And the Samaritans, they made it there. But these Galileans, which this guy's kind of now getting lumped in with, they're fascinated by the miracles. They can't wait for the miracle. They can't wait for the next conference. They can't wait for the next testimony. And here's the thing, guys. It's an okay starting point. But we see in the Bible, it can go either way. You can stay at wonder and never truly follow Jesus, or you can see who Jesus is and put your trust in him, and then he begins to entrust himself to you. So Jesus, he, um, these, so we're still looking at the Galileans. You guys with me? These same Galileans, so they were with Jesus in John chapter 2. Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to him. Here he is in John chapter 4, not entrusting himself to him. John chapter 6, Jesus is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Remember this? And so these Galileans are the same ones there. And here's what Jesus says to them in John 6. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. That's what's happened with these Galileans. Here's the miracle man. This is our sugar daddy. He's making, making food multiply. He's doing miracles. This is great. And he's saying, yeah, you want to be with me for all the goodies, but you don't understand what the sign's pointing to. Less than 24 hours later, I mean, they're, they're hanging around, and they got the miracles. In John chapter 6, he, he just feeds the 5,000. Less than 24 hours later, Jesus says, hey, um, eat my flesh, drink my blood, otherwise you have no part in me. What do they say? Oh, we see what you're saying. You know, we want no, no. That's not what they said. They said we didn't sign up for this, Bessie. We're out of here. You know, this is cannibalism. This is disgusting. What's Jesus doing? He's intentionally. It's like almost like he's intentionally offending them to see if they're just hanging around for the goodies, or if they're recognizing, eat my flesh, drink my body, saying, listen, I want you to have an intimate partaking of me. I don't want you to just feast on the miracles. I want you to feast on the person of Jesus. Contrast this with the disciples. Let's look at their response. Let's go back to John chapter 2 in Cana uh, uh, at the wedding miracle. John chapter 2. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, the Galileans were impressed. The disciples, they believed. Same people seeing the same sign, two different kind of responses. Guys, in a room this size, we've got both those kinds of responses. People listening online is you can be impressed by those things. You can hang around Jesus because he's your sugar daddy. He's going to provide you. He's going to give you joy and peace and this and that. That's an okay starting point. But I want us to become the kind of people that Jesus can entrust himself to. That we're seeing that all those things, when we see his hand, follow it to his face. <laughs> people are like, don't seek the hand of God. You can seek the hand of God. Just keep looking. We seek God's face, not his hand. You can seek his hand. He actually says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's his hand moving. It's okay to seek those things, but just don't stop there. How are we doing?
My pastor, Clyde Keith, uh, says this, signs and wonders are the dinner bell to salvation. That's a good way to look at it. It's, it's God's mode of evangelism in the book of Acts. Is they, they, they signs and wonders happen, and it causes, it causes people to have to make a decision. We need more of that. We need to not just talk about it. We not, need to not just teach about it. I'm feeling convicted myself. and like, I want to get inside these stories more. I'm teaching this series for me as much as I am for you. I want to, I wanna, well, you're going to see where we're going here. This is going to be good. I'm getting to the punchline here. And so uh, Jesus says back to the uh, royal official, what do you people want? Do you want me to come down to Capernaum and stand over this boy and perform a miraculous sign? Uh, that's the story of you people. Unless you see miraculous signs, you're never going to believe. And so, and so here's the royal official's response to Jesus' kind of rebuke of all these people, and kind of he's included in that. Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. The little boy, uh, the, that phrase little boy is a term of endearment to describe his son. This isn't just one of this man's kids. This is his dear little boy who's tearing his father's heart out with his sickness. And the father continues to beg Jesus, I don't care. Please come down and heal my, hear my, dear, little, heal my dear little boy. He's dying and he is terminal. And Jesus' response uh, leaves him totally speechless. Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll do as you request. I'll come in and heal him. Okay, Jesus doesn't do that. That's what this guy's wanting, Jesus to come there. And uh, Jesus gives him something that gives him a chance to become a fan, to stay as a fan or become a follower. Verse 50, then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't make some holy pronouncement. Yea, that I say unto thee, it will be as a, you know, he doesn't say that. It just, it's almost like hands in the pocket. All right, go home, your son will live. And I would say what Jesus is operating in here, I don't know if it's a word of knowledge or if it's a gift of faith. I'm not sure it super matters for us to get this. But I want you to know, um, when you receive something like this from God, you can know it is done. Okay, it is done. I want to emphasize today that I'm looking at a group of people who are perfect candidates for the Holy Spirit to do something like this through you. Where someone can come in an absolute desperate situation and you can stay connected to the Father and this Father can give you whether it's a word of knowledge that it's already done and it's a gift of faith to speak it. I don't know what it is. But you can have settled in your heart, it is finished, it is done, this miracle is done, and when you speak it, it actually releases something. Jesus said in John 6, 63, he said, my words are spirit and they are life. So Jesus wasn't prophesying, yea, that I say, it shall be done. No, 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 he's saying, it's done. And when Jesus, I have to understand what prophecy is. When you speak a word uh, under the unction, under the uh, impression of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit actually rides upon those words and causes those words to come into, come into action. So Jesus gets this gift of faith. He knows that he knows that this is done. He speaks it casually, and it causes it to happen. I want you to understand, guys, we need to put ourselves in this story and see that you are a candidate for the Holy Spirit to flow through you in this exact same way. Because Jesus didn't do this as God. He did this as a man rightly related to God, same relationship you have, completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So the question for us is, how dependent on the Holy Spirit are we willing to be? I want you to know that when Jesus does this, there's no sweat to it. Okay? I'm not sure. I've done this before. Where you're, you're, you try to say something bold, and you're kind of hoping that it happens, but you're not really sure if it's going to happen. But you hope that maybe by saying it more sure that You guys know what I'm talking about? You're saying it more sure than you actually are. That's not the gift of faith. Okay? The gift of faith, it eliminates all fear. I've told these stories many times. I've probably operated in the, in the gift of faith I've probably at least three times in my life. And um, listen, when it's God, it's God. 
you will find things coming out of your mouth that you're not even worried about until after they come out of your mouth. So you, you just make, I, I've told you guys those stories before. You know, I was at the that college campus, and we were talking about whether or not miracles were for today. And they, you know, they had a witch in there and a Wicca and a Hindu and all sorts of weirdos. And um, is that politically correct to say weirdos? Yeah. I'll just say doctrines of demons. Let's just make it biblically correct. How about that? Hold on. That's just, a, you know, all religions are the same. No, they're not. Allah and Yahweh are not anywhere close to the same. Okay? Hindu, there's thousands of gods. Jesus, I'm the only way to the one true God. Those aren't the same thing, people. All right. Are we okay? All right. So I um, don't know where that came from. And so, uh, so I'm at this uh, college campus. They got uh, Hindus and, uh, and, you know, Wiccans coming in there and doing all sorts of stuff, chanting over the kids, young adults. And... Um, since you're my kid's age, young adults, all right, your kids. So they're chanting over the students and just weird stuff. And so they invite me to come in there and talk about Jesus. And so I talk about Jesus, and uh, it's not going great. They're not impressed with my little speech. And so... This is, uh, this is called a dramatic pause in a story. There we go. All right. <laughs> Almost choked in the water. So um, they're, not impressed with my, uh, they're not impressed with my stories. And so I, um, and so I, I, just, I started sharing some healing testimonies with them. Still not impressed. I'm not sure you've ever done a speech when people just aren't getting it. It's, it's, it's not, like, awesome, okay? And so I'm just kind of like, you know, Lord, they're bored. Like, I'm talking about Jesus. Like, they shouldn't be bored with Jesus. Like, this, this, is, like, this is like a sin, you know, to be, have make Jesus boring, you know? And so, um, so this is what comes out of my mouth. Get the faith drops on me, and this is what comes out of my mouth. Again, no sweat to it. I'm saying it just like I'm saying it to you, like, just like I'm saying, like, pass the ketchup. It's, like, just so normal. I say, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to talk for about five more minutes. And at the end of the, uh, when I'm done, I'm going to invite people up here who need healing. And if I pray for you and nothing happens, you'll know I've been lying this whole time. If I pray for you and something happens, you'll know I'm telling the truth. Well, now I've got their attention. And after it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what did I just say? And so I had a guy with me. I looked at him. He looks at me. I'm like, oh, no. And so now I'm like, okay. Yeah, get your face gone after that. You know, my heart's pounding. You guys probably know the story. And so, um, uh, so I, you know, call the first person up there and um, it was a person on crutches. They were a scholarship volleyball athlete. This is at Denison University in Granville, Ohio. And uh, she you know, comes up there in the crutches. She's got a cast on from the top of her hip down to her ankle, a Velcro cast. And so my faith went running out the door. I was like, oh, gosh, not a cast. You know, how about like a little, a little ache, you know, like a little, a little tinge of a headache. And it feels better, you know. And so um, she so, you know, comes up there in the crutches. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just there. And so I said, in the name of Jesus, leg be healed. And I said, check it out. So I'm picturing check it out, like gently, you know, shift, shift the weight and see if it's a little better. She starts ripping off her cast. I thought, lawsuit. <laughs> this is going to be bad. I don't even know if we're covered for this. And um, takes off her cast. So, I mean, so, so there was like a chair there. So she hobbles on the back of a chair, drops her butt cheeks down her ankles. <laughs> moves back and forth and comes up, tears in her eyes. She looks at her teammate and says, I'm healed. Yes, and so um, the class, the, the class, you know, they're not, it's not a religious group, you know, and so they didn't know what to do, they just started cheering, they started cheering at it, and now, of course, I got up there, no lie, that's what I said, next, 
Brought the next person up. The guy had a bruise on his thigh like this from playing. Uh, he pulled up his sweatpants. He had a bruise from playing rugby. Huge bruise. We prayed. Bruise disappears in front of everybody. Everybody again is cheering. Next. Just kept going back and forth like that. Gift of faith. Super fun. Ready for more. How are we doing? I want you to notice that you can operate in that gift of faith. Jesus says, remember, he's listing spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. You know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healings, miracles, gift of faith, discernment. And he says, you can eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's okay to seek gifts so that we can represent Jesus more accurately. It's, we don't want to just stay, we're not we're trying to impress people with fireworks, but people need to see that he's not just a story from a long time ago. That there's a heart-pacing, heart-pumping, racing pulse reality that he is here, right here, right now. I don't know about you. I just lost it in that last song. You know, we just, I love where it was going because it was like we've seen cancers, we've seen metal dissolve, and I'm like, that's our story. But then I love where it was going is we're going to see um, revival in our cities and salvation in the streets. What's that doing? These signs that those earlier verses of the song we're talking about are pointing to reality. We're going to see the glory flood the nations like this world's never seen. What's that? That's where the sign's pointing. That's what people need to see. That's why we're doing, I don't know how many part series on healing. This is why we're going to take time and we're going to take this story and we're going to meditate on it through in the week so we can see ourselves becoming the kind of person who can operate in these things. Another thing I wanted us to get from this story, um, Jesus says, go back home, your son will live. Hold on, wait a minute, Jesus. He's in Cana. He's 25 miles away. How can you do this? I want you guys to get this. There is no distance with God. There's no distance with God. Jesus didn't have to come there physically. You're able to pray for things. We've seen people healed over Zoom. We've seen people healed. Remember Skype? We've seen people healed over Skype. We've had text healings. We've just texted people, be healed in Jesus' name. They got it. They received the word. They did. We've seen people healed over cell phones. I remember um, uh, I was praying for this guy. He is paralyzed from the neck down. And he was in the hospital with his family. I think his, I think his wife and his son were there. I'm on speakerphone. He'd been in a motorcycle accident. He was the drummer at a church. And, um, and so he wasn't even in the service that day. We just, we just called him afterwards and uh, shared a couple testimonies with him, got his eyes on Jesus. And as we prayed, his arms and legs began to move in the bed. The room was screaming and begins praising God over cell phone. I remember there's a guy who uh, had a stroke in the, uh, I think, I guess it's the right side of your face. Is it the right side of your body that's in a stroke, Rachel? Hi. <laughs> when someone has a stroke. Either side. Okay, thank you. All right, there we go. I, I don't remember what side it was, but it was one side of his face. Sorry, I do that to Mary all the time. I'll call on her and she'll be like in a zone. Like, huh? <laughs> Sorry. Not that you were doing that, so. I think she was gazing at, gazing at Sean's thick hair, so. I was like, seriously, he's got shoulders like that and hair like that. Like, seriously, God? Wow. Anyway, um, so this guy, he had a stroke, and so um, I was on speakerphone with him, and I'm like, hey, I want you to go look in the mirror, and I said, I want you to uh, speak to uh, your, your face and tell it to move, and so he began getting a little bit of movement. After about 10 minutes, he had complete movement of his whole body. All the, all the effects of the stroke were completely reversed. Guys, I wasn't there. There's no distance in it. I remember the first time I saw this, you guys, uh, listen, we're going to be talking about healing. You're probably going to hear some stories multiple times. You guys okay? Who's new here? There's new stories. I love you. Welcome. So we're in the Bahamas, and I'm doing what I, and I do what I do when we're in warm climates. I hide in the shade with, you know, 5,000 sunblock on. And so I'm, I'm in there, 
And I'm reading a book, and Mary's, you know, she's sunning herself. I'm in there, you know, completely clothed and with the sunblock on. And, um, you know, this is how I maintain my ministry to the goths and my alabaster skin. And so, so there's this guy close to us, and he's reading a book by Clive Cussler. And my dad loved the Clive Cussler books. I'm like, um, the, the hero is Dirk Pitt. And uh, remember the movie Sahara, Matthew McConaughey, Dirk Pitt. And so I'm like, hey, what's Dirk Pitt up to? And he's like, what, what? I'm like, hey, you're reading Clive Cussler. What's Dirk Pitt up to? He's like, oh, yeah. And so we start talking. He's like, what book are you reading? I'm like, Supernatural Power of a Transformed Mind by Bill Johnson. He's like, what's that about? So I started kind of like sharing some stuff with him about it. And uh, then I just shared, I shared like two or three testimonies from our church. And he had a really, he got really angry all of a sudden. He says, you think you're funny? I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm funny. I don't know. And so he's like, you think you're funny? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, those stories, you think you're playing some kind of trick on me? You think that's funny? I said, sir, I don't know what you think's going on here. I said, all those stories I told you are 100% true. And uh, then he kind of like slumps his shoulders. He says, well, here's what's going on. So he's about 40 years older than me. And he had a grandson uh, named Seamus O'Brien. And so a uh, great Catholic name. And uh, this man was Catholic. And uh, he's told me his son is, uh, has some kidney disease and he's wasting away in the hospital. They gave him days left to live. Hadn't gone to school in weeks. Hasn't been able to eat. So he's losing weight, just wasting away. They don't know what's going on. He's going to die any day now. He says, will Jesus heal my, my grandson? I said, I, I, absolutely, I believe he will. And so, you know, no gift of faith or anything. We pray, you know, you know 15-second prayer of faith, 30-second prayer of faith. I said, hey, will you do something for me? I said, here's my email address. Will you just email me and just let me know what's going on? And so I wasn't really checking email. And so when we got home, I got this email from, uh, from Grandpa O'Brien. It said this. It says, the hour that we prayed, everything changed. Yeah. He said, um, my grandson's now out of the hospital, he's back to school, and he's eating like a horse. Come on, somebody. What are we trying to say? I'm trying to say we can pray for those at a great distance. What are we doing? We're reading these stories, and you're seeing I can be the kind of person who receives these gifts of the Spirit, and I can begin to flow in these things. I can pray for people at great distances and see things happen. Now, look what this does to the faith of the Father. He had been someone who was impressed. He heard about these miracles in Cana. I want him to come do the miracle thing for me. And now Jesus isn't going to come to him. Look what happened. He didn't see Jesus perform any signs. Jesus just gives the Father a word. And Jesus trusts that word. Listen to this. Jesus took this man from believing in him because he could do miracles to trusting the words of Jesus. Guys, you only trust somebody's word when you see who they really are. Listen to verse 50. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. He committed himself to the word, therefore he committed himself to the person. Verse 51, while he was on his way, some of his servants met him with good news, that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. You can almost see the smile dancing around the guy's mouth. When did he get better? When was that? And they replied, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock. His fever suddenly disappeared, verse 53. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus told him, your son will live. Remember, Jesus wasn't prophesying. His words actually released that healing power. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. In our modern terminology, his whole house became Christians. Guys, anything that we read in Scripture, we can expect from him today. We can't just read the Bible as stories or just read it devotionally and kind of get some goodies out of it. We have to let the sperma of the Word of God come into the womb of our imagination and throughout the week, let the Holy Spirit paint a picture on the inside till we see it, we can do these things. 
We can't just do it through mental gymnastics. It has to be the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we have a part. Just like a woman cannot conceive alone, we cannot conceive alone. We need, we need it with God. Guys, when the Bible says Jesus Christ is yesterday, today, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, it doesn't mean like, yeah, he, he never ages. Like, oh, he's just the same. No, he's the same through you. The way that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever is because he's the same way he was then through his church now. The same Jesus is now living in you by the Holy Spirit, ready and willing to do the same things through you and me. Is somebody getting this? This means we can bring our terminal cases to him, our absolute hopeless cases. I hope I'm not doing too many stories. There was a lady, she was in hospice, she didn't go to this church. Um, they had a, gave her less than a week to live and uh, went in there with a, another guy from the church, went in there, and uh, she had cancer. It was either 90% of her bones or 98% of her bones. When we get in there, she was meeting with a psychiatrist because she was going crazy from the pain. The pain was so intense, she was losing her mind. And so she said it felt like her bones were outside of her body screaming. And so she's laying there. She's dying of cancer. And uh, we pray for her. And the, uh, the pain leaves immediately. And uh, we get a report two days later that she's left hospice and was cancer-free. Yes. Come on, somebody. It was so cute. So she had a, you know, she had was like the little curtain. And there was a lady on the other side of the room. And uh, we're praying. Oh, this, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little emotional. She was really precious. And she says, I believe too. And so we came over and we talked to her. And um, she was in agony. And uh, I, we didn't get to follow up on her, but we prayed and all her, all her pain left as well. And um, guys, I don't, I don't care if you've never heard a testimony of this type of disease being healed that you're now facing or what, you're, what it's coming against. This same Jesus who did all those things back then I want you to catch the willingness from these stories of him wanting to do it again. What we're singing this morning, do it again, do it again, do it again through me. That's what we're going after. Anyone who believes in me will do the works I've been doing. This is the words of Jesus. Anyone who believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus has been doing, and even greater works. What are the greater works? Every single person in Zion. I love, the, I love the Old Testament prophesies that under the new covenant, the weakest will be like David and the strongest will be like God. Can you imagine the weakest Christian in our city being like King David? We are Christ's body. For people to come into contact with you is for them to have an encounter with Jesus. That's what we're going after. Jesus did miracles because he was in the Father and the Father was in him and he was completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I got some good news for you. You're in Jesus. Jesus is in you. We're going to depend on the Holy Spirit. Let's stand for closing prayer. I got some good news for you. You don't have to have confidence in your ability to heal the sick. We could pull a, a wing off a fly and there's not a person in here who could do a thing about it. So you don't have to get good at healing. I encourage you, don't get good at healing. Just put your eyes on the one who's really good at it. That's where all of our confidence comes from. So we've gone a little bit over today. And so uh, let's just do this. If you've got an area of your body that just needs, uh, that needs healing, just put your hand in that body part. Um, if, it just, if you don't really want to do that, you can just, in your mind, you can speak it out. Are we okay? So um, uh, let's just, just, Jesus said this, speak to your mountain and tell it to move. And so if you've got shoulder pain, 
Um, my shoulder is actually feeling, wow, it's gone. So I, uh, <laughs> no, it is. And so um, I, I shot the shotgun at bullets and brisket yesterday, and I had a physical bruise on my chest. And um, again, I was trying to give Mary the awe, but it didn't work. And, uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's, it, so already gone. Yeah, yeah, God. So um, it was right there. It was right there. It's gone. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, just put your hand on it right now, guys. Just, just uh, remember, there's no sweat to it. There's no sweat to it. We got our eyes on him. Jesus, I thank you that you are, uh, the eyes of the Lord are, are searching to and fro throughout the earth that you may strongly support those whose hearts are yours. And Lord, I just thank you that we just say we are a people whose heart are yours. We love the miracles, but we love the miracle worker even more. We love the signs, and God, and we, we ask you for more signs and wonders. God, we ask you for the kind that, uh, that those notable miracles in the book of Acts that shook a city, that turned the heart of a famous atheist towards you. And so, but Lord, we're, we're more consumed with the healer. We love you, Jesus. And I just thank you that you're looking at candidates, perfect candidates for you to flow through and to do miracles in right now and this week. And so, uh, well, just to speak to it, just say shoulder be healed, knee pain be healed. Uh, just there's someone uh, either online, I don't know where it is, online or you're in here and you're uh, battling diabetes. I just speak to that diabetes in the name of Jesus. I see it be made whole. Pancreas, behave yourself in Jesus' name. I see someone with uh, the right ankle. They've got screws on the inside of the ankle. And uh, I just speak to the ankle and I, I command it to be restored and made whole in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I see someone with film over uh, especially their right eye. And uh, actually, I'm seeing that it's, it's their left eye. It's, it's on my right. It's, I guess I'm facing them. It's their left eye, but uh, both eyes are effective. And Lord, we just speak to that film over those eyes and we tell it to dissolve in the name of Jesus. So guys, your hands are loaded. Your hand, he said believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Your hands are loaded, so just put your hand on there. Just speak it to be healed in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just, uh, we just come into agreement with that song that we will see revival in our cities and salvation flood our streets. Lord, we'll see revival in our cities, salvation flood our streets. Glory will fill the nations like we've never seen before. And so, Lord, we, I pray that you would take this, uh, this story, the seed of this story of the government official's son, and, uh, and, and plant it in the womb of our imagination. And, Lord, uh, I pray that you would birth something beautiful this week and in this, uh, this week.